I'm just going to share a few thoughts. Um, I just want to share a few thoughts this morning from the letter of the Hebrews that we've been working on. And um, I want to, it'll be like a short class today. I'm going to spend a few more minutes writing some notes down for the, the main meeting. I'll be sharing the main meeting. I'm really excited about the message that I'll be sharing um, about heaven's dynamic, heaven's secret dynamic of change for mankind and how it's so different from the way men think. And uh, it's so exciting to see scripture and to enter into this rest and, and see God do what only God can do. It's really cool. Um, so I just want to share a few thoughts and we'll, we'll uh, wrap up the class today and then we'll... Yes. Pardon? Yeah. Uh, yes. 10.30 worship and then about 11. Uh, okay. Thanks, guys. Oh, it'll be the first time I've preached in flip-flops and jeans, so might be my last time. <laughs> I, f- I just felt like being comfortable today. I didn't want to, you know. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> Lord, we just once again look to you because we can't understand these things without the Spirit of God teaching us. I just... I love that verse, Lord, where John writes, you need no man teach you. You need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth, and you shall abide in him. Lord, we thank you for that reality that when we hear truth, it it really is just an echo of what the Holy Spirit has already said to us, an echo of the truth that is already being spoken to us by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we don't have to be convinced of the truth. We just need to hear it. Thank you for the power of the Spirit to open our eyes to heavenly things. Lord, I pray that this will be a a blessing. This class will be a blessing this morning. And I pray the main meeting will be a blessing. And I pray that there will be revelation and understanding. And that many will see perhaps things they've never seen before. Help us and encourage us in this awesome journey. And this awesome reality. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in the letter to the Hebrews. I want to just share, just share a few thoughts. Who wants to look up a verse for me and read out loud? It's, uh, it'll be chapter 9, Hebrews 9. And let's go, let's say Hebrews 9, verse 25, I guess, 25, 26. Do you want that or, or anybody, anybody wants to, uh, Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verse 25, 26, 27, and 28. Um, I think. Go ahead and look at it. Cause I've... Oh, yeah, 20. That's good. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest in his most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer 
often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of men. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. Excellent. Verse 28 is the key verse I want to focus on, but there's some other things I want to talk about. Verse 28, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many or of the many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Just before that, it says, for is appointed unto men once to die and afterwards the judgment. This is one of the most misunderstood, mistaught verses. We've, there's several in Hebrews we've already talked about. We talked about um, the verse that said the son learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And we saw in context there that the writer was simply saying, he wasn't saying, in other words, that Jesus learned to obey because God, God put suffering on him so he could learn to obey the father. It sounds like if you just look at it, if you read it in the English, it sounds like he's just saying exactly that. For the son, though he were a son, he learned to obey by the things which he suffered. But in the context there, the suffering there, of course, is a reference to the Garden of Gethsemane because it talks about with strong tears and crying, he prayed that the cup would pass from him. So the suffering that went from Gethsemane all the way to the cross, with the, with actually, from the, actually from Gethsemane to the beating, to the stripes, to the cross, that was the suffering that he was crying, if it be possible, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So in the context of that verse, it's clear that he's not talking about the son finally got it together and learned to obey the father at the end of his life, and suffering is what made him finally obey the father. That's ridiculous. But it's taught like that in the church, that God uses suffering to teach you to obey him from that verse. But the truth is, and we, talk, we talked about this, what, what this verse is actually saying is that though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And we said, if you want to help understand the meaning of that verse, put the word about before the word obedience. Though he were a son, though he were a son from heaven, who knew all about obedience to the father. He never, never disobeyed his father in heaven. Though he were a son, yet he learned about obedience to the things which he suffered on this earth in a fallen world. Now, you don't, have to put, you don't have to put the word about if you don't want to, but if you look at it this way, the word obedience, think of it as a topic in school. Think about it like, like math, science, obedience. I'm studying math. I'm learning about math. I'm learning about science. I'm learning about obedience. That's what it means. The son learned obedience. He learned about obedience. He learned what obedience was like in a fallen world. He had never experienced that. You see that? He learned what it was like to follow the Father in a world that was hostile to God. He suffered hostility from sinners. He had never experienced that before. That's what he's saying there. And though he were a son, God allowed him to suffer and learn why. So he could be a high priest who could be a merciful and faithful high priest who could help us in our sufferings and our uh, resistance from sinners uh, or the world, hostility from sinners. That's why it says in Hebrews, let, let the weak arms be strengthened. Don't be discouraged. I felt the same hostility from sinners myself. I know exactly what you're feeling. He could not have said that as our high priest if he had not experienced that himself as a man on earth. Isn't that awesome? Yes. 
That's what that means. He learned obedience. He learned about obedience. Just like he would, you would be learning math and science and history and obedience in a fallen world. What's it like? It's a class the son had to take. Though he were a son, he had to take this class. He had to take the class to be the high priest that could help us. He had to take the class so he could relate to our sufferings. He had, though he were a son, he had to take the class of obedience in a fallen world. He had never experienced it before. Isn't that clear? Help other saints see that. Teach other saints that truth. Release them from this bondage that they think God has to cause suffering in their lives that they might obey him. That is not his way. We have suffering because we're in a fallen world. We have a cross given to us because we belong to him. But God is not giving us that cross. We take up a cross of rejection because we don't belong in this world. We belong in his world. They will hate you, and some will even kill you, thinking they're serving God, Jesus said. But they do that because they know not me nor my Father. You see? So when we walk in a fallen world, we're going to have friction. We're going to have resistance. We're going to have all this stuff. And it's not God doing it to us. And we can go to our high priest, and he can say, I know. I know. Be encouraged. I have felt the same hostility from sinners. Be strong. I'm with you. Always. Even until the end of the world. Isn't that awesome? So we talked about that and we talked about, um, what was that other verse we talked about? That's so, oh yeah, well we talked about this, that's so misunderstood. Hebrews 10, 26, where it says, um, he who sins willfully after having knowledge of the truth, there remains no other sacrifice for sin but a fearful looking for of judgment, etc., etc. That's been so mistaught in the church. Putting uh, bondage on the body of Christ and condemnation on the body of Christ saying that you know, if you commit a willful sin, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't count for you anymore. Every sin is willful. Every single sin. If you commit a sin that you didn't willfully intend to do, then you didn't sin. You know? Every sin. Think about every fleshly thing you and I do. It's a willful choice to sin. So by teaching that horrible teaching that's out there in the body of Christ, basically they have t- made void the, w- the work of Christ. They have made void the work of Christ that says, I'll remember their sins no more. Their willful sins no more. There's no other kind. I'll be merciful to all their willful lawless deeds. There's no other kind. I will be merciful to all of them. I'll remember their sins. I'll remember their willful sins no more. There's no other kind. That's the power of the covenant. And contrary to religious thinking, that does not lead you to sin more. That does not lead you to go paint the town red. That doesn't lead you to go crazy. What it does, it leads you into the presence of God without fear. Come boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. Because you have a new heart and your natural tendency... With your new heart, your natural tendency is not to sin. Your natural tendency is to ascend. You have in your, in your spirit ascended life. The life of the ascended Christ. And when, when the law is removed, you're like a helium balloon. When the ropes are cut, you naturally ascend to Him. The law is a trap to keep you in the earthly realm, to keep you sin-focused, to keep you flesh-focused, to keep you willpower-focused, keep you trying to do something for God. When you see the truth, the ropes are cut, and who you really are naturally ascends to your daddy. It's awesome. 
And you naturally have this awesome awareness of His presence with you all the time. Because the only reason the presence can be with us all the time is because He has completely taken away the sin of the world. He offered Himself up once, the Scripture says. And if He had to do it every day, as religious thinks... As religious thinking is and teaches that you have to have forgiveness on a daily basis, the writer of the Hebrews here says then he would have to have suffered often every day since the foundation of the world. Did you get that? That's awesome. He's saying here, this kind of thinking that's now in the church, this kind of thinking that says you have to confess your sins on a daily basis to keep your sins covered on a daily basis, that thinking is so off, the writer says, no, if that were the case, he would have to die every day. From the foundation of the world. But God, in His wisdom, saw Christ slain from the foundation of the world. Now think about this, saints. This is so cool. God works in... God's mind works in... We talked about this once before. God's mind, the mind of Christ, the mind of God, doesn't think linear like we think linear. What I mean by that is, God isn't thinking, you know, this topic and this topic and this topic and this topic and this topic. God thinks, this, the mind of God is, thinks like this. It circles within circles, within circles, within circles. God thinks in concentric circles where every circle has the same common point. You see that? There's a center. There's a center. The same center for every circle. And that center is Christ. It's awesome. And you see it in creation. The scripture says we can know the invisible things of God by the things that have been clearly, we can see it clearly by the things which have been made and created. Look at the universe, saints. Look at the galaxies. There's circles within circles within circles. Galaxies within galaxies within galaxies. It's circles within circles. It's the mind of God. It's how he thinks. Look at the tiniest thing in the world that was created. The molecules, molecules and the neutrons and the protons. They're circles within circles and circles within circles. In the creation itself is his fingerprints, his signature. He thinks like that because Christ is the center of everything. Man, natural man thinks like linear. Man thinks, okay, we're going to talk about grace today. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about angels. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about heaven. What? What about Jesus? Is a point on the line? No. That, my, my brothers and sisters, that is systematic theology. Systematic theology is an approach to the scripture from Western minds. Systematic theology is an approach to the scripture from Western minds that puts God on a line or an outline. But the writers of the scriptures did not write like systematic theologians. They wrote about him. Look at the gospels, how they were written. They watched him. They beheld him. They followed him. They wrote about him. They saw him. It was him. Paul says, God has called me to preach him among the Gentiles. It's all about the Christ. It's all about Jesus himself. He is the wheel within the wheel that Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel saw the mind of God. He saw a wheel within a wheel. 
He saw the very heart of God, how God works and thinks. You have the mind of Christ. You too can think like that because you have the mind of Christ. You can think where Christ is center, where Christ is the all in all, everything. And before, in the natural, you couldn't get this. In the natural, this doesn't make any sense. But now, you're saying yes. You're saying amen. Hallelujah. Why? Because the Spirit of God in you says, that's my mind. I know. That's how I think. When I'm clear, when I'm clear-minded in, in the Spirit, I think like that. Christ is everything. Christ is the center of everything. Christ is life. Christ is peace. Christ is righteousness. Christ is wisdom. Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the Christ. Yeah. Paul said, see? It's awesome. It's the way he thinks. It's the way the spirit works. So, lost my thought. <laughs> yeah, what was that one thing we were talking about? The oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. He would have to been had to suffer often since the beginning of the world. This is yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and this is the point I want to make with this mainly this twenty seven and twenty eight, the most misunderstood one of the most misunderstood scriptures. Um, oh wait, no, no wait. I know we, we didn't finish that thought on Hebrews ten twenty six. He who sins willfully. Yeah, I want to finish that real quick. He who sins willfully after the knowledge of the truth. Um, we talked about that already. I just wanted to just say it briefly. We know that now in context is not saying because you commit some willful sin that Christ's sacrifice does not cover that sin, obviously, because all sin is willful. But what he's saying in context there is that you as a Jew, remember the, the, the thrust of the letter is to the Hebrews. It's called the Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews. The, the thrust to the Jew is that if you go back to the Mosaic covenant. If you go back to the sacrifices of bulls and goats, after having knowledge of this truth, after having knowledge of the gospel, that's what he's talking about. If you, that's, that would be a willful return to Moses because you have now knowledge of the truth. The reason he uses the word willful there, he's not talking about some fleshly sin. It's very specific. He's saying, look, you have knowledge now of the truth, my brothers. Christ is the Messiah. He was prophesied to come by all the prophets He is the sacrifice and the final sacrifice and the only sacrifice for all sin, for all time, for all people. And if you, after having the knowledge of this truth, go back to Moses and go back to the bulls and goats and go to the temple looking for forgiveness and and cleansing, you sin willfully, my brothers, because you know, you know better now. It's a willful sin to go back to the Mosaic covenant. And then he describes this person. He says, for that person who goes back to Moses has trampled underfoot the blood of the Son of God, has considered the spirit of grace something to be rejected. All those things, you know, that it says in that passage. So anyway, just going, we've already said that before, but I want to reiterate. Help the saints see this. Teach other saints. Teach other saints. Help them see this. The willful sin in Hebrews 10, 26 is not some fleshly sin. It is a willful rejection of the Christ to stay in their mosaic system, to stay in, the, in, the, in the, the Ten Commandments for their righteousness, the whole thing. The old covenant that is now obsolete, Hebrews says. That's the willful sin. So anyway, those are two passages that are so mistaught in the body of Christ. Yes? Is anything comparable to that in the Christian 
realm? Like if the Jews go back to the Mosaic law, is there anything comparable for Christians to go back to confessing sin, trying to work out their salvation as far as the rejection of Christ in that area like the Jews would do to the Mosaic law? Well, there's passages like Paul in Galatians talks about, you know, he was afraid that um, some would go back to the feast days and holy days and that kind of thing. These are these are people. Yeah. Yeah, Galatians or Gentiles. Like trying to Oh, you mean like in kind of reject Christ because we try to do it ourselves or confess our sins or keep the Ten Commandments, but we know we can't, but works actually works versus Mosaic law in rejecting Christ for actually taking <coughs> Well, there's a lot of people that that will a lot of believers like I think you want something like contemporary, like how can we speak about it in this day with believers with Gentiles? There's a lot of believers that will, will struggle their whole life in a Galatian mentality. They will be saved. They'll be born of the Spirit. They'll have the foundation. But they'll build on it with wood, hay, and stubble. So it's not really a rejection. It's not a rejection of Christ. That's right. That's right. Good question. It's not a rejection of Christ all the, all the time when someone is just stuck on their, in a self-righteous mode of trying to earn God's love and favor. God weeps over it because they're struggling and they don't receive his love, but they haven't rejected him. And so you have some people that are believers and born again who will be saved, Paul says, but all of their works will be burned up, so to speak, in this life. And the burning up there is a whole other teaching, but the burning up there is not talking about standing before God one day and you're like, made a crispy critter. Like some cartoon, you know, where it's like all, you know, like, Tom and Jerry, and Tom usually is the one that's Krispy Kreme, you know, the Krispy Critter that, you know, Jerry always wins. It's not like that. It's not like, it's not like a fire that, you know, you, all right, everybody stand before the throne of God and walk through the fire, and if, if anything's left of you, you come in, you know, it's not that. What it is, it's the same fire that Paul talks about, the fiery trial of your faith in this world. It's the same fire that Peter says, think it not strange, the fiery trial that has come at you, this resistance, this cross that's been given to you in this fallen world. The fire is the testing of your faith in this world, the the tribulation, the persecution. That's the fire. And if you're building on the foundation of Christ with self-effort and willpower and um and knowledge only, and no relationship with him, and no dependence on him, and no revelation of him as your life, no rest in in his work, no rest in his finished work, then you're building with wood and hay and stubble, and you're spreading that message to others, and they're getting wood and hay and stubble built in their lives. And guess what? When the persecution comes, when the fire of this world comes, it'll burn up. And many believers, we've seen that, many believers kind of get disillusioned because, you know, what happened? Where was God? They were building wood with wood, hay, and stubble. They never understood. They never entered the rest. They'll be saved, and they'll go to heaven, but... For, first of all, nobody knows the hearts of other people. And Jesus said, judge no other, no other person. So what you're asking for is a, a clear message, a clear answer as to, is this person, because of what I see, rejecting Christ? Or is this person who, what, by what I see, is not rejecting Christ? There is no answer for that. We should not even be looking for that answer. See, we should not even be want, wanting the answer to that question. We should not even be asking that question, really. I'm not that, you know, it's a good question to ask to talk about. But we shouldn't really be wondering 
Only God knows the heart. Jesus said, don't try to figure out which is a wheat, which is a tear. Don't try to figure out which is a wheat. Which, you'll, you'll, you'll think you'll pull up tear, you'll pull up wheat. You'll hurt the wheat. He said, let them all grow together. Only God knows the heart of men. So yes, there may be someone who has come to the place where they have rejected Christ and their behavior manifests that uh, and they will not receive the gospel. Only God knows. And there may be a believer who's just weak in the faith and who struggles with, with law and who is trying to do his best and never gets it you know, not really getting settled in the rest of God. They'll go to heaven, the scripture says, but they lay, they're built on their foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. So they don't have the blessing they could have had in this life, a Galatian mentality. But let's don't worry about who's crossed the line and who hasn't crossed the line. That's something we don't even, we don't even want to go there. We want to just encourage, what's so cool about the gospel is that you, you feed everybody Christ. And even the one who's rejecting him, you keep feeding him Christ. And if he's rejecting Christ, he'll just get worse and worse. And the one who loves Christ, but who is stuck with wood, hay, and stubble, and, and Galatianism, and law, feed him Christ, and he'll get free, hopefully. At the, very, at the very least, he'll just be comforted. See? At the very least, he'll be comforted, even if he doesn't get free. See? So the answer is, feed him Christ. Everybody. Everybody gets Christ. Everybody. It's so easy. It's simple. Everybody gets Christ. And you leave the results up to God. So that, it's a good question, but I'm saying I don't want us to be even thinking like that. You know, who's crossed the line here? Who's crossed the line there? Because that gets, into, that gets into a judgmentalism that we cannot answer because only God knows the heart. And Jesus himself said, do not look for wheat and what is tare. Also, I love that verse. We talked about this before, but when Peter asked Jesus, what about this man? Talking about John. It's kind of the same kind of question. What about this man? What about this man? I don't see fruit in his life. Is he, has he rejected Christ? Or is he just stuck in legalism? Is he, really, is he a Christian who's going to lose his reward or whatever? Or is he, you know, what about this man? Jesus' response to that kind of question was this. He said to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. I love that. You see, he doesn't want that question being asked. He will not give the answer to it either. Because he says, what is that to you? That's God's business. He says, you simply follow me. Isn't that awesome? And it takes a burden off your mind, too, because I think, you know, some people, they, you, you, I, I know you, Kathleen, you have a big, huge heart for people. You love people. You and John would die for people. You travel the country as a missionary, helping people. And I mean, you don't think twice about what it takes to, if someone needs something, you and John are there. And I think it releases a burden off your mind because I think you're worried about those people. You're not being judgmental. You're worried about them. You're worried about they're, they're going to not be there when you're there in heaven one day. And so, but it takes that burden off of you because you don't have to worry about that. You keep feeding them Christ and leave the results with God. And it'll be awesome. And, and God will do it. He'll do amazing things that we never dreamed possible because God's always working behind the scenes. You know, and, and God's, God's got, our, our patience runs out sometimes with some people. And I said this one time, you know, with, God will send us to help someone, to encourage them. And we run out of patience with them. We're like, oh, I'm, my hands, I'm out, I'm done. I'm done with this person. And then, and, and God, whose patience is long suffering, God will say, okay, uh, James, you're out. Steve, you're in. I'm done with this guy. I'm done with this person. God, it's, it's all yours. He's stubborn. He won't hear anything. I've been sharing with him for years. I'm just done with it. God says, that's okay. You're out. Steve, you're in. And then Steve is fresh. Steve's got fresh legs coming into the game. All merciful toward this person. 
Not frustrated at all. That's how God works. He's awesome. Steve gets frustrated after six months, maybe, whatever, and he goes, James was right. This guy's an idiot. God says, that's okay. Steve, you're out. Teddy, you're in. God is so patient. He has many people come and touch people as from God's direction to help people see. We don't see the whole picture. So we can rest. We can rest. It's so cool. God is so awesome. When we see this, when we see the other side, we're going to say, oh my gosh. He sent 2,642 people to that person. They finally got saved. And I was only 122 and I gave up. That's God. Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive my neighbor? I'm sick of this. My brother, he's, seven times? That's a lot. 70 times seven, Peter. 490 times, Peter. It's awesome. Okay. So just to wrap this up real quick, this didn't become a short meeting at all, did it? Ah, okay. Okay, this, just real quick, this verse is one of the most mistaught verses, verse 27 and 28, where it says, it's appointed unto men once to die and afterwards the judgment. And that's what you usually hear at funerals. But they don't read the second verse. They read the first verse. And they go, is it, appoint- it is appointed unto men once to die and afterwards the judgment. We all understand that. And this is a time for you to ponder your own life before God. <laughs> to consider your life and consider your ways. For just as this poor chap <laughs> has died, he too will give an account to God and face the judgment. Oh, it's chapter. Yeah, 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 right. Right. But they don't read the next verse. The very next verse. The very next verse says, In the same way that it is appointed unto men once to die and face the judgment. That's a true statement. That's scripture. And it's true. Everybody's appointed once to die and face the judgment. The next verse says, In the same way Christ died once once taking my appointment bearing my sins bearing the sins of the many taking my appointment with judgment you see the writer is saying everybody is appointed to die and to face the judgment if you believe on Christ then he has taken your appointment for you and you have died with Christ on the cross and you have passed through judgment through the cross As Jesus said, he who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. Awesome. And the next part of that verse says this. He who came to earth the first time to take away sin shall come a second time. And the second time he comes to these who believed on him, to the the ones who have that he took their appointment for in death and judgment, the ones he, the the second time he shall come, the scripture says, and it will have nothing to do with sin. His first coming was to take away sin. His first coming was to put away sin. His second coming will have no, nothing to do with sin for he will come for his bride who is eagerly awaiting him. That's awesome. No fear of judgment. She is eagerly, she is eagerly, eagerly awaiting him. And when he comes second, the second time, sin is not on his mind. Sin is not on his heart. Sin is not part of his mission. 
His first coming, his mission was all about to take away the sin of the world that he might release his people. But the second coming will be without regard to sin for those who eagerly await him. He took away sin the first time. He'll take away us the second time. Awesome. I love to say that. Anyway, so that's a verse that, that next time you hear that at a funeral, just stand up and read the next verse. <laughs> teach the saints. Saints, teach the saints these things. Teach the saints these things. Help them see that Jesus took my appointment with death and judgment. Isn't that awesome? He who believes on him has, shall not die, Jesus said. You know why he said when Lazarus was raised? You know why he said... Martha, or Mary, I think it was Mary, said, Mary, he who believes on me, though he has died, he shall live again. And he who believes on me shall never die. What was he, what he was saying, saints? He stood at the center of history. Many of the saints had already died. They were in Sheol. They were in Abraham's bosom. So he was saying to that group, he who believes on me, though they have died, though they are in Abraham's bosom, though they have left this earth to death, they shall live again. I intend to descend into the heart of the earth and release them from Hades. And then he's talking to us and everyone future, and he says, and they who live and who never experienced this death shall never die. Because what he came to do was to remove death completely so that when your body dies... You simply walk over. As Paul says, when this body dies, I step over, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You, you literally do not touch death. Literally. The scripture says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Do you realize the closest you come to death because of what Jesus did, his awesome work, the closest thing you come to death it's cold water while you were baptized. That's the death. A little cold water, it might be warm. You might have had a spa. That's what, how powerful his work is. He has so removed the power of death that now being immersed in waters, we have been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. That's it. Enjoy the awesome work of the Son of God that now when your body dies, not you die, when your body dies, when your heart stops pumping, when your brain stops working, absent from the body, present with the Lord. For He is able, the Scripture says in Jude, to make you stand blameless in the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Oh, that's awesome. These verses have been so mistaught. It's put bondage and wrong thinking in the body of Christ. Saints, let's teach, let's teach our brothers and sisters and spread this word. Help them see you relieve so much stress from people, so much heartache, so much misunderstanding. God will reveal himself to those, those who are still confused about God's love. Because once you see his finished work, the love breaks through. I love that old Keith Green song where he talks about love broke through. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have walked with God 20, 30 years, and only when they hear this message, the finished work of Christ, only when they hear that there's no judgment for the believer, that he took judgment, only then do they say, all my life as a Christian, 
I knew God loved other people, but I didn't think he loved me. I didn't feel it. I always felt like I was not living up to his standards. Always feeling like I was not doing all I should be doing. And I never really felt completely accepted. I I knew it was there for other people, but not for me. And that's when his love breaks through. When you see (coughs) there is no judgment to those who have believed on the Christ. Listen to his words. Truly, truly, I say to you. And in the Greek, when it's repeated twice, it's for emphasis. There's no punctuation in the Greek. That's the way they put an exclamation mark in the Greek. They repeat the word twice. Jesus is saying, truly, truly. He's he's saying, listen to me. Listen to me. He who believes on me shall not come into judgment, but has already passed from death and into life. Awesome. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these realities. Help us grow so strong in the faith that we can teach others and release others to the awesome, majestic work of the Son of God. All that's left to be done is to say thank you. That's all we can do is offer the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. There's no other sacrifice but to say thanks. Amen.